Um, sometimes people say things and uh, it can make you laugh. Um, uh, sometimes people, of course, are just funny. Um, sometimes people say something and it makes you laugh. Um, I wonder if you can remember the last time you, you said that. You couldn't help it. La- a laugh had just slipped out. Uh, maybe it was a, a cynical laugh. Bah, don't, <laughs> don't be so naive. Maybe, maybe like that. And maybe a sort of knee-jerk laugh because that person is always so outrageous. Um, maybe a flippant laugh. They're not very nice laughs, actually, are they? Sort of dismissive laugh. Or, or maybe the last time someone said something that made you laugh, it was the laughter of joy, uh, fun and frolic. Sometimes um, the things that people say can make us laugh. Now, the question this morning is, when God speaks, when God makes his very great promises, how do you react to what he says? Um, Last time we started a new series looking at the birth stories in the Bible. We've been wanting to look at, at these birth stories as they move through the Bible to see how they point to the biggest story of the Lord Jesus. And we want to do that so that, so that we would enjoy him and, and uh, our, our hearts might be filled with a love of him afresh. And last time we looked at the first birth story in the Bible there in Genesis uh, chapter 3, where the Lord promises a baby, an offspring, the seed of a woman, that would come to crush the head of the serpent, a serpent-crushing offspring. I wonder how you respond to that promise. Seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? A a, a baby, a child's going to defeat. A serpent returns to glory. I I wonder how you are inside. Do you laugh with joy at that? Or just this sort of sniggery sort of, really, sounds nice, but. mm. I wonder how you respond inside. Well, today we're going to fast forward through the story of Genesis. We're going to go through Cain and Abel, through uh, death and more death, through Noah and the flood. Fast forward still, hold the button down. We're going through the Tower of Babel. Uh, We're going through even the early part of uh, Abraham to to, to land at the latter stage of Abraham's life. You might remember Abraham, or Abram, as he was initially uh, known, was made some great promises by God. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, Go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. Through you, the world will be blessed. Abraham is going to be the father of a kingdom of God's blessing. And uh, surely if the serpent crusher is coming from that family, he will come. But it's a massive promise. It seems a bit nebulous to us, a kind of father, a nation of blessing. One Bible commentator says the promise is a little bit like... um, Someone coming to you and saying, here's $25 million. Uh, Because Abraham, he's promised that he's going to be the father of God's blessing. I mean, what's more valuable than that? What's more amazing and wonderful than than that? And again, the question is, how am I going to respond to that? I wonder if you've ever had an email like that out of the blue. I was checking an old email account I've got that gets lots of spam And uh, I received this email on the 6th of November, a lovely email from um, Jacqueline Mallinson. Here's how it reads. Um, Our dear lottery winner, we write to notify you that your email address has won uh, 10,200,000 Great British Pounds Sterling only from the WhatsApp Awareness Lottery. That's wonderful. I didn't even know that existed. Um, It took place that morning in the UK, apparently. 
Please reply via email for further details of payment thereafter. And therefore, if you're interested, kindly provide us with your name, address, and WhatsApp number. Congratulations, Mrs. Jacqueline uh, Mallinson. Um, wow. That's good, wasn't it? A bit odd she doesn't have my WhatsApp number, though, uh, given this money is coming from WhatsApp awareness. Anyway, um, it makes you laugh, doesn't it? I mean, come on. 20, 10 £10.2 million pounds out of the blue, just like that. Abraham, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be the father of a nation of blessing. How do you respond? How do we respond to what the Lord says, to what he promises? Because his promises are huge, aren't they? Uh, we'll hear of them again this Christmas time, won't we? Today in David's town, a saviour is born. Born of a virgin. Peace to all men, glory to God in the highest. Angels, stables, mangers, shepherds, wise men. How do you respond? Uh, deep down, is it, it's the nativity. Oh, it's nice, you know, the kids get the play. Or is it a no? Wow, that is God keeping his Promises from all time. Is it that it's nice? Jovial sort of sniggering laugh. Or is it deep joy? Abraham was 75 years old when God made his big promises. Now, this morning, we're in Genesis 17. And Abraham is now 99 years old. Abraham's, Abraham's been the father of faith. He's a great model to us. He's trusted God. He, he left everything. He went to the promised land. He's, got, he's done some stuff well. He's done some stuff badly. Uh, he got to the promised land, um, but when there was a famine, he left it. Why'd you do that? He went to Egypt. He lied about his wife famously to Pharaoh. That's an interesting incident as well. Um, and more recently, just in chapter 16, um, Sarai has given up waiting for God's promise and said, Abraham, why don't you sleep with the servant girl? Uh, then the offspring will come. And Abraham does. You see, it's been hard. He's found it hard to wait to trust God's promise. How really can an old barren woman have a baby? I mean, it's pretty mad, isn't it, to think of a baby born on the geriatric ward. And mum going home, not just to the day one visit from the midwife, but to a visit from help the aged too. It's pretty laughable, isn't it? How do you respond to God's word? The teenage virgin will have a baby. Cynicism or wonder and joy? Well, we're going to look at Abraham in these verses and um, see how God is deadly serious about his word. See Abraham's reaction, Sarah's reaction, and see what it prompts for us. Firstly, in our passage today then, the promise reaffirmed. God keeps this promise. He keeps making this promise, even though people might laugh and wonder. God is utterly committed to this old couple having a baby. Abraham is 99 years old. We might imagine him with his Zimmer frame uh, and a bad back. We might. But God is clear. This is no impediment to his promise. God comes in verse 17 and he remakes again his covenant promise, just as he did in chapter 12 of Genesis. Just as he did in chapter 15 of Genesis. God is going to bless Abraham. God is the great king. 
who promises to make Abraham a great king. And all Abraham must do is surrender control, believe in God's promises, and the blessings will flow. Regardless of the circumstances. No matter how much the promise seems silly. God's promise is reaffirmed in this passage. We see it um, uh, in, in verses kind of four and five. God changes Abram's name. God changes Abraham to Abram from Abram to Abraham, which means father of um, father of the nations, which means he will be the father of a great nation. He will be. Uh, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. We're less sure quite what that means. It might mean something about her now having a royal status as a kind of true queen and princess of God's promise. It may mean something to do with being the, 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 the mother of the promise, something like that. But either way, we see here, Abraham and Sarah are not forgotten. God still means for them to have the offspring of the promise. They've got new names. It's like a big signpost. I always like it when everyone waits for the, um, the royal births and the signpost comes, the sign comes outside Buckingham Palace and there's a name and we wonder and it's like, what name is it going to be? Um, I feel for George because there's so many King Georges that have been before. You know, the sign says, he's going to be a George. Is he going to be one of the good Georges? Um, we wait and see. The name says a lot. The name says a lot here. Abraham's got a new name. It's a signpost. God is saying, you will have the promise, Abraham. You will. And then God says it even more clearly in verse 18 of our passage. The Lord says to Abraham, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He's reaffirming the promise, isn't it? Because now it's not Abraham and Sarah saying, um, yeah, one day God said we'll have a child. Now the child has a name. As soon as parents start talking about what's the name going to be, it's pretty certain there's a baby coming, isn't it? And it's not just a name. Look at 17 verse 21. The Lord says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. There's a timetable now. Isaac's coming next year. There's a due date. It's almost like the Lord is saying, Abraham and Sarah, you can sign up for prenatal classes now. It's almost like God is saying, you can start to put the meals in the freezer. You're going to need them. Um, you, can, you can start decorating the nursery and wonder if there's going to be a meal train. Because a baby is coming to old Sarah. God has promised it again. Now, the question for us is, as mad as it all seems, how does Abraham respond We'll zoom in to 17, verse 17. The Lord reaffirmed his promise, but look, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? It feels a bit awkward, doesn't it? He laughs and says all that. You think, oh, is he being rude? Is this facetious? I don't think so. If you look back at verse 3, sorry, I'm jumping around a bit here. You see, earlier, Abraham fell on his face before the Lord in reverence. Abraham's listening very, very seriously to what God is saying. Abraham is not joking and messing around, uh, and God isn't either. But at this point, it just seems too wonderful. It just seems too amazing that a little bit of laughter slips out as Abraham thinks about it. The inner wonder in his heart gives way to a giggle. Abraham could well believe that he might have a child. But through Sarah, 
<laughs> no, no. Abraham laughs and says, verse 18, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is the son of the slave girl. He says, God, you'll keep your promise through that. You know, that was a baby through a you know, fertile young lady. You know, that was, you can keep your promise that way, Lord. But it's like the Lord says, no, you may laugh. But my promise comes through the barren woman. In fact, it's almost like the Lord says, let's remember what, I, what we are calling the baby. We are calling the baby Isaac, which means he laughed. Isaac, I want you to remember that you laughed when I made this promise. Isaac will be the child that everyone laughed about. Isaac will be the child that no one thought possible. Isaac will be the child that elicited laughter from mankind, but displayed the greatness of God when God brought life in a barren womb. It's almost like the Lord wants to say, I want you all to remember. I want the world to remember that you laughed at what I would do. But the Lord uses what is weak and foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise, doesn't he? And to bring glory to his name. Time and time and time again, we find in the Bible, the Lord keeps his promise by bringing life to barren women. God shows that he's going he's to keep his promise. He's going to achieve his purposes. And it's not going to be mankind who does it. It's going to be so clear that God's doing it because his promise is kept in miraculous ways, wonderful ways that you'd never believe, that you'd laugh about. Whether it's Sarah or Rachel or Hannah, to name but a few, God brings life. In miraculous ways, two barren women in the Bible story to declare and to do what human beings think is laughable. Too wonderful. You know, I reckon probably even Mary might have laughed at the promise of God. if She hadn't been so terrified uh, at the angel Gabriel. She asked, doesn't she, how will this, how am I going to have a baby? How will this be? I'm a virgin. It just seems too wonderful. Abraham laughs in, in wonder because the Lord is reaffirming a promise that seems too great, too big, laughable almost. So let me ask you this morning, how do you respond to the very great promises of God? Is it the case that you think, mm, you know, God promised to send a savior, but the donkeys, you know, the, the virgin birth, the angels, it's, it's on the edge of credible. It seems it's too much, too wonderful. Is, is that a thing in your heart? Oh, we're, we're Western rationalists, aren't we? We're very serious scientific people, aren't we? Really? Do I really see God's promise working out there in the manger? Do I believe it? Do I stake my life on it? What cynicism is there there? You might feel guilty about that this morning. But I hope you can see here in this passage. God says, I want it to be known that, God, that man laughs at my plans and my purposes. Because who gets the glory? Who gets the last laugh? Who gets the praise when the Savior arrives in the dirt in Bethlehem? God gets the glory, doesn't he? So laugh we may. He gets the glory. People will laugh at us this Christmas time, won't they? People will laugh at the nativity scene. 
laugh at those readings in the carol service. Snigger, snigger. There's always one. Do you see, God means that his plans seem laughable to us. But it's so that he gets the glory. And the question for us is, how are we going to laugh? Are we going to laugh cynically or are we going to laugh with the wonder? The wonder of Abraham, who actually does bow the knee. Abraham, who does trust the Lord, no matter how laughable this word seems. Because barrenness, virginity, funny though they might be or seem, they're no obstacles to God. No, they are just the backdrop. They are the canvas on which the Lord shows his wonderful work. The Lord reaffirmed his promise amid laughter and wonder. See, secondly, this morning, the Lord ratifies his promise. The promise is ratified amid laughter and disbelief. Abraham laughed. He let out that inward giggle. But his response shows us he, he put his trust in God. Towards the end of chapter 17, we see Abraham getting on with the business of being circumcised and circumcising his, his family, uh, family members. Now, don't ask me to say more on that now, uh, but you can ask me about that later um, if, you, if you really want to. Um, but Abraham enacted this covenant sign. Abraham clearly trusted God. We see that also in chapter 18, because Abraham is ready for a visit from the Lord. He's straight into action when three people arrive, one of whom he recognizes as the Lord. The, the Lord has established his covenant again with Abraham. And it's a bit like, um, you know, those kind of international conferences we see on the TV. You, the United Nations get together and uh, they all have the photo, don't they? And Angela Merkel's there. Is she, does she still go to them? She seems to always be at them. She's not that there anymore. Biden's probably there. Rishi's probably there, maybe. Um, and, you know, they, they, they sign treaties, they have photo ops, and then they sit down at a banquet. There's always a banquet, and we see the, the prime ministers all, um, and presidents all, all having a banquet. It was no different in ancient times. If you came to a covenant agreement, the deal was sealed, as it were, at a fellowship meal, at a friendship meal. The deal is rubber-stamped and signed off and handshaken. It, it, it's done. Well, here's Abraham. He's expecting this covenant to be ratified, as it were. And he sees these men. He runs to them. Verse 1 and 2. He bows to them. He recognizes one of them as the Lord. And he begs to show food and hospitality and to be a host. And when they agree, Abraham is a tornado of activity, isn't he? Just look, look around there and, you know, uh, all the stuff he's preparing anxiously in, in verse 6, 7 and 8 and so on. He's a tornado of activity. Abraham wants to be hospitable. To God and his promise. You see, despite his earlier laughter, he wants to welcome the Lord. As the Lord comes to, to rubber stamp the promise. And that's what the Lord does. Look at verse 10. The Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. The promise is sealed. The promise is confirmed. The timetable is in place. Abraham's response is really clear here, isn't it? He's been so hospitable. But Sarah's response is a little bit harder to see, isn't it? I mean, the promise is made to Abraham, but it's also critically to Sarah too, isn't it? I mean, she's going to have the baby after all, isn't she? The guests ask in verse 9, uh, where is Sarah, your wife? 
That's a good question. <laughs> Where is she? Why isn't she welcoming the visit of the Lord? Abraham has been so hospitable, Sarah so absent. You might think she was making a brew, but no, she's full of mistrust, hiding in the tent. We can kind of imagine how this might come about for her. Remember, she encouraged her husband to sleep with the servant girl. And the servant girl had a baby. And this baby is being brought up in the family home. It seemed like a good idea, but now she hates it. In her home, there is rivalry. She's full of envy and jealousy and insecurity, listening round every corner. Has Abraham now rejected me? Does he prefer Hagar now? Is that the son he will love and he will forget about me? Sarah's so consumed, she doesn't even leave the tent. She's just listening in suspicion in her bitterness and, and misery. And when the Lord ratifies the promise, look in verse 10, her response, I think, it just seems so sad and cynical. The Lord says, verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing year. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She knows that. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? There's laughter here. But notice she's not wondering about what the Lord would do. She's looking inwardly, isn't she? She's looking inwardly with gloom. I am worn out. My husband is old. Will I have this pleasure? I will not have this pleasure. Sarah here laughs cynically, almost like a survival mechanism. She's protecting herself from daring to hope. She doesn't want to risk cruel or bitter disappointment. We can understand it, can't we? I think we get it, and many of us recognize when we've done that ourselves in life. This laughter is a cover-up for Sarah's disbelief, her, her skepticism. It's a ploy to disguise her sadness at all of life. Sad with the Lord. This may surprise you to hear, but did you know there is such a thing as the sin of sadness? Did you know that? Now, hear me right here. I'm not saying that every time we're sad, that's sinful. <laughs> But there's a particular um, sin of sadness. The early church had this list. We, we've not heard of it because the early church had this list of deadly sins. Um, they came up with eight, eight deadly sins. But someone said that's not a very biblical number. So they said we ought to have seven deadly sins. And so the sin of sadness got merged with the sin of sloth. So we've kind of forgotten, really, about the sin of sadness. And they were merged together. To be fair, they are a bit similar, so this makes sense. The point, I think, is this. We should rejoice at God and his promises. We should rejoice at them. It's harmful to us when we are sad in the face of God's grace and mercy. When we are deliberately sad, it's a denial of the fact that we can have faith, of the fact that we can have hope. The idea of sloth was similar to this. It's this idea that before God, you might, and his promises and his great word, you might simply decide to just not care. Just to be apathetic, sorrowful about any spiritual good that God might supply. Totally affectionless, despondent. I think there's a sense of that in Sarah here. She's sad about the Lord coming. She's sad about the Lord's word. She's deciding not to care anymore, to be dismissive. Friends, I think we ought to see here a great spiritual danger. Because the promise here in this passage, it's not 
some email from some person trying to pull off a scam. No, the promises here for Sarah and for Abraham, the God's promises that come to us today, they come from the God of goodness and beauty and moral majesty. He's the fount of all joy. And yet sometimes we're sad before God. We deny there being hope in his promises. Friends, we need to be beware this apathy and sadness that decides I'm just not going to care about what God says anymore. Can I say that? I think that's a real danger for us. Some of us are quite cynical. Uh, I think you know who you are if you've got that cynical streak. Um, I think I have that cynical streak. You'll know it because you notice you're skeptical about almost everything. And it is a survival mechanism. And uh, you'll know it because you see everything as over-promise. I wouldn't, wouldn't think that. It won't happen. Uh, we see every person or every situation as potential for disappointment, a potential letdown. And so there's apathy and sadness. All you're left with in the end is yourself. And that's Sarah here, isn't it? All she can do is, is look in at herself and her perceived dire circumstances. And that kind of sadness, it just begets more sadness, doesn't it? There's a danger here. Sarah has gotten herself into a really tough spot here. And we pity her, don't we? And we notice the trouble she's in. But friends, I, I hope you can see there's also great encouragement here. The Lord knows that Sarah has laughed. Um, look at 18 verse 13. Did you see it? The Lord said to Abraham, uh, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Uh, notice how Sarah responds. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And the Lord replies, he said, no, but you did laugh. And look at, look at is it verse 16? Then the men set out from there. Sarah is left to face up to the fact that she did laugh. The Lord leaves her with that thought. You did laugh, don't forget it. You see, just as the Lord wouldn't let Abraham forget his laughter and wonder by naming Isaac after it, he won't let Sarah forget, forget her laughter either. She shouldn't have laughed in cynicism. She shouldn't have laughed in sadness and skepticism. Because is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for him? No. I think the Lord wants to make a point. Sarah, don't forget that cloud of sadness you were in when you laughed. Don't forget it. Because here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that as big as that cloud of sadness is in your life, Sarah, far bigger is the power and promise of God. Remember that laughter when I overturn it. I think that's what the Lord is doing. She's not to forget her laughter because with the arrival of this baby, the laughter of sadness will be overwhelmed with the laughter of joy. And friends, that can be true for us today. We can feel a great sadness, a despondency, maybe a cynicism in our heart towards God. We need to remember that in the arrival of the baby at Bethlehem, God was keeping his promises. The cynicism that you or I may have got has got way too big because God is way bigger. And he is keeping his most outrageous promises. The child born 
is born to make all things new. And the greatest of tragedies, the greatest of scars that you and I carry, that baby was born to carry them on his shoulders to the cross. He bears our sin and sadness away. And it's all there as the angels announce, a saviour is born to you in Bethlehem. One day our, our tears will be wiped away. The promise is, uh, is reaffirmed amid laughter and wonder. The promise ratified amid laughter and disbelief and sadness. Look, let's, uh, let's come to a conclusion here briefly. Thirdly, the promise is fulfilled amid laughter and joy. Look, turn with me over the page, page 15, and we'll just race through these, uh, these last verses if we can. Look at verse 1 a little while later. 20, chapter 21, verse 1. Notice the emphasis. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The promise of the child seemed so outrageous. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God kept his promise. Look at verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. God fulfilled his promise. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Just like God had said. And so Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, verse 4, when he was eight days old. As God had commanded him, everything was coming true, just like God said. God did what he said. So, verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old, and his son Isaac was born to him. It may have seemed utterly ridiculous, but God did it anyway. The joke of the baby born on the geriatric ward. It came true. That which we would laugh at. God did. One person imagines the scene. There she is. An old woman. And after a lifetime in the desert, her face is cracked and rutted like a six month drought. She hunches her shoulders around her eyes and starts to shake. She squints her eyes shut. And her laughter is all wheeze and tears running down as she rocks back and forth in her kitchen chair. She is laughing. She is laughing because she is pushing hard and has just been told she is going to have a baby. Just like God had said, the old barren woman gave birth to the child of promise. And so Sarah says, verse 6, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And they named him. He laughs. Woven out of the crucible of suffering comes the laughter and joy of heaven. And it's just a foretaste for us, isn't it? The child came to Abraham and Sarah, just as God had said. These suffering servants, these saints who stumbled along the way. They were given another kind of laughter, weren't they? A laughter of deep joy and wonder at what God had done. From that family would come another child whose announcement would bring as much laughter and scepticism. Yet his arrival would herald the day, a day coming 
when we will weep tears no more, and when we will laugh with joy at the wonder of what God has done. So today, how will we respond to God's very great promises? The promise of a saviour who says, take up your cross and come after me. Give up your life. Take up your cross. Follow me. You'll know life evermore. He came amid angels, shepherds. His arrival sounds like a, a joke in our world today. And people laugh. How will you respond to God's word? Because you see, laugh you may, laugh they may. But the deepest, most delightful laugh is still to come. It's found in the joy of the Lord. In a laugh that we will one day share in if we've trusted Christ. A laugh that is full of praise and admiration of a God who did what was too wonderful for you and I. I wonder if you've laughed like that, laughed without any inhibitions, laughed without anything to worry about, laughed because it's just joy, and bliss and reunion and happiness. Sarah's laughter is just an inkling of what is to come because of the baby in Bethlehem. You can find that joy. You can start to know it today by believing God's word, by taking his promises seriously concerning the baby born to a virgin who is Christ the Lord. Shall we pray? Uh, loving Father, we come before you and we want to confess the ways in which we've not treated uh, you or your word with the wonder it deserves. Father, we've seen your promises as so big, so outlandish, and deep down inside, maybe there's that bit of disbelief. There's that bit of cynicism. Maybe there's that sadness. Maybe we're holding our suffering up against you. Maybe we're choosing to be sad before you. Father, thank you that your promises are so great and so wonderful. Thank you that you kept them in Isaac and in Christ Jesus. Thank you that one day we will remember how we laughed and we will laugh with greater joy even still. Until that day, might we stake our lives on your very great promises. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.